Hello and welcome to Talking Euretina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists, Euretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. Every fortnight, we bring you the latest news from the Society, expert discussions and interviews with leading experts from the world of retina and beyond. It is the week after the storm of activity that was Euretina 2022 in Hamburg. If you were there, you'll know it was one of the best congresses yet. Fantastic discussions, workshops and lectures from the biggest names. And the boat party? Well, what happened on the boat will stay on the boat. Let's just say that. If you enjoyed the Congress, let us know your highlights. You can email us podcast at uretina.org because that's what we're doing in this week's podcast. Professors Tunde Pito and Camille Bone will be giving their rundown of highlights and telling you what you missed and absolutely have to watch back on the Uretina site. First up is Professor Tunde Pito, who is from Queen's University Belfast, of course. She also uh, co-chairs the imaging section of the Uretina subspecialty section. Um, Tunde, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you've had such a busy week, so thanks for giving us a window of your time to discuss uh, Hamburg. Your feet have probably not even touched the ground yet. How was your Congress? Well, barely, Jonathan. Um, as you know, a lot of us struggled with the flights both ways. But I'm, I'm delighted to hear that most people made it home after the conference. And I was even more delighted to see people at the conference. It was such a fantastic feeling to have um, our collaborators in one room again, um, hearing lots of stories, seeing, seeing people and going to, to the Uretina party was on the boat. It was, was really, really amazing. And we all had a, had a great time at the conference scientifically and also just, just seeing people was, was so, so delightful. So there were keynotes, workshops, lectures, all sorts of things going on over the week in Hamburg. What were your highlights, Tunde? So there, there were a few and, um, and I would really urge people to look at the program and, and find what you're interested in. So for me, it was amazing to see how much in two to three years time certain fields have progressed. So those of you who worked in inherited retinal diseases, for example, you will find quite a number of sessions on this topic. And you will find that there are options for um, new types of imaging for these patients, such as adaptive optics, and also a lot of imaging and functional opportunities such as the Pamela, the maze, um, or some of the other opportunities in, on, on mainland Europe. So we can really check how the patients function in real life. There was a, not, there was a related study uh, that's been done by um, Laura Kushli, for example, Navi's site. It was looking at sort of contrasting and comparing patients with um, inherited retinal disease, retinitis pigmentosa, and diabetic retinopathy, trying to ascertain how people walk and see and hear things in busy urban environment. Mm. It's gone beyond the remit of ophthalmology. It's, It's working with town planners. It's working with city planners and construction workers to enable our patients who are visually impaired to walk around safely in our cities. So for me, one of the highlights was how much the field of also functional testing has has gone ahead. And it really is something that we need to watch. 
and we will need to be able to build into our clinical trials and not just for rare diseases, but also for um, some of the most common diseases such as diabetes and age-related macular degeneration. It's it's great to hear that um, that that sort of joined up thinking is happening in our cities in terms of the experience of people with vision impairment or any impairment that, you know, what we record as scientists, as particular uh, function of one particular organ isn't how that person experiences uh, their disability or their impairment. It's it's how it impairs them or enables them to to do the things that they want to do in life. It's about quality of life at the end of the day. And that the idea of of thinking in a more holistic way about that uh, is really exciting. I completely agree, because if you think about it after COVID, there's been a lot of new alfresco dining. I'm sure that in many countries, for example, the big supermarkets were one way. Mm. But the problem is that people with visual impairment, they didn't see those errors, for example. So they might have been going down the wrong way. Some of the patients reported that um, they got shouted at because they were going the wrong way. And sometimes they bump into the new alfresco dining chair. So mm. So, so something that really was a lifesaver for a lot of people because they could get out, they could meet their friends, so it saved them from loneliness was um, other people's problems. So it, the, the pandemic and, and revitalizing our cities, sort of being outside, has brought its own problems. But as, as long as we are aware of them and have strategies to overcome them, this should not really be a problem forever. What else did you like from the Congress? What excited you? What really excited me was also the collegiality. So people were really happy to to talk about their data. There was a lot of openness about what went well and what didn't go so well in in some of the trials and some of the work. People really openly talked about as to how we we might be able to make um, certain aspects of um, imaging better or what's missing. What are the new problems with the new imaging modalities sometimes and image analysis? And also very many times we have heard about the need for incorporating new ways of thinking into how we look at a disease. So if I give you an example on that, and people watch back Professor Siva Prasad's lecture when she accepted the, the, the major prize she was given, she, she's been talking about the need for rethinking diabetic eye disease and rethinking it by incorporating our new knowledge on OCT, on ultraviolet field imaging, and some of the functional tests that we have been able to use in order for us to be able to decipher which patient needs more follow-ups, which patients might be able to stay out of the hospital for longer, How do we know if someone is at risk and how we quantify risk? And these questions have been there for a long time, but we are just about at the point when with with the new knowledge on ultraviolet field imaging and OCT and some of the functional testing, as we said, we, we are able to start on that road. It will be a long road because, of course, we have all learned um, diabetic retinopathy and diabetic maculopathy grades very well, and it's been drummed into us. But we can think together to provide a much better and much more granular, much better stratified risk assessment to our patients. 
because that's the only way we can get them into the appropriate clinical pathway, treat them with the appropriate clinical drugs, and also to enable better clinical trials because we will enroll the patients who really need that kind of a treatment. Mm. I'm very excited about those major, sometimes philosophical looking questions, Mm. but they will be very important to answer so we can provide better care. Yeah, particularly in uh, a time of increased workloads, what you're trying to find is the, the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. Exactly. So you can watch uh, Professor Shoba Sivaprasad's lecture. She was the keynote at Hamburg on the Uretina player. That's at uretina.org. It's free for all delegates up until the end of the year. And then it's for Uretina members only. Do check it out. Uh, as uh, we've heard from Tunde, it's a fantastic lecture and really explores these philosophical ideas of how uh, we can better prioritize and focus on the need of patients. Tunde, thank you so much for reflecting on your uh, Uretina 2022. Thanks and see you soon. Thank you very much. Well, now we're joined by Professor Camille Bone. He's uh, from Amsterdam University Medical Centre and Leiden University Medical Centre. He's also part of the AMD and IRD subspecialty groups and the guideline sections at Uretina. A very busy man, so we're delighted to have you, uh, Camille. How was your Congress? Well, it was wonderful to be back again in person. Uh, Obviously, we started to get used to the hybrid options, digital meetings, which I think is a very good addition also for people who cannot join. But for me, it was wonderful to be back in person again, to meet colleagues and friends there, to speak with them informally and also to establish new collaborations in such an informal manner, which turned out to be very efficient. So it was a great time and place in Hamburg to be together again. Are you one of those delegates uh, who goes to all the people that he knows or are you someone who always tries to find new people to chat to uh, at a congress no i'm not a networking type of guy who really on purpose go looks for people to go networking i'm more the spontaneous get to know person uh, that wants to establish at that point but i'm not the purposefully uh, searching for networking opportunities guy Uh, you're both reaching for the same cinnamon roll on the plate and a conversation starts that sort of thing yes that's right (laughs) Take me through your highlights from the the Congress then, Camille. What should people watch back on the player? One of the highlights for me as someone who's also working for rare retinal diseases and gene therapy was the um, Uretina IRD and ERNI session that was chaired by Isabel Odo and Professor Bartlewa. Because one of the big problems that we have right now is how do we prove that new treatments like RNA therapy, gene therapy, indeed seem to work. And we had a very nice, lively discussion discussing all the uh, problems ahead, potential solutions. And I think that was a very fruitful meeting that could hopefully help us to get these new treatments uh, approved in the future and to show that they might be working. What were some of the ideas that came out of, of that? Yeah, first of all, so we encountered problems with, with showing efficacy in a short period of time. Yeah. So maybe we need um, combined parameters to see if we can show efficacy and also one of the things that was mentioned was that we might try to establish uh, standard operating procedures uh, standard schemes of follow-up among our international centers to try to uniformize these measurements that we do in daily clinical practice because it will be difficult to establish prospective natural history studies which are expensive which are logistical nightmares for all these rare diseases 
So maybe if we uh, uniformize this, it could, this could really be helpful. And what was also really helpful it was to have uh, patient representatives from patient organizations who also uh, shared their perspective on this, which is extremely important because patient reported outcome measures will also might possibly be the key to establishing if a treatment is effective or not. When it comes to these rare diseases in uh, the Netherlands, is it similar to, to other countries in Europe where some of these treatments are very expensive and they need to sort of justify the, the cost to the, the reimburser or the payer, which is often the, the healthcare provider of, of the specific country? And that is sometimes difficult to do with rare diseases where there aren't a huge amount of, of patients or these are new drugs that take some time to figure out their efficacy. Is that an issue in, in the Netherlands as well? Yes, in the Netherlands too, we have a, I think we have a very good healthcare system with all people being insured and all people having more or less equal access to all types of healthcare, including rare eye diseases and gene therapy, for instance, for rare eye diseases. I'm thinking about foretogene, the Parvovec, for instance. That said, these are potential very costly um, treatments. So we really need to have a very thorough evaluation and very good uh, efficacy proof before we can persuade the insurance companies and the regulating body to reimburse that. So that's going to be key. But that's going to be the case, I think, in virtually every country. Yeah, it, it is certainly the case here in Ireland. Is there work that you know of uh, looking to pool the resources and the results of European studies together to, to get that efficacy quicker? Yeah, well, first of all, we have the, the industry-sponsored trials that are very important, but also thinking about uh, when it comes to treatments, thinking about veratogene and Parvovec, which has already been uh, approved, there is a mandatory um, taking part into the perceived study, which is headed by Professor Fisher from Oxford, in which all the data that we uh, can collect in all centers about the treatment outcome and potential complications has to be uh, evaluated. So we have to put it in the database, evaluate that, and then maybe we can fine tune better, okay, is this patient subgroup uh, really eligible for such an expensive treatment or not? So we can really fine tune our choice of patient selection in this pioneering period, which it actually is. So we're really pioneering and some trials will fail, some treatments will prove not to be effective or insufficiently effective. So we really need to tweak out which patients and which diseases are eligible, which are not, and how we can evaluate them. What else tickled your fancy at uh, the Congress, Camille? Well, I, uh, apart from the rare eye diseases, uh, such as retinitis pigmentosa and other inherited retinal diseases, I'm very interested in central serous choriretinopathy, which is quite an intriguing and mysterious disease that mainly affects men, uh, although it can also affect women. And we're doing quite some research on that as some other groups. And what I really liked was the discussion that was there about not only the pathogenesis, but also uh, the, the differential diagnosis and certainly also the treatment for central serous choretinopathy. Uh, first of all, in the central serous choretinopathy session that I was honored to uh, chair together with Professor Lewinstein from, from Israel, we had a very nice uh, uh, set of speakers, for instance, Professor Jimmy Chung from Singapore, who had very nice new insights on angiographic characteristics of this intriguing disease, but also other speakers on treatment and we had a very nice and lively discussion and questions and answers with the, with the audience in this uh, session of Sunday morning. Apart from that, we also had a nice uh, session on this spectrum of diseases and also 
knee vascularization and polyps in central serous retinopathy in the session of the Singapore Ophthalmological Society on World Retina Day, which I found very interesting. And it was really great to, again, interact with, uh, with the panel and with the audience on that. I really like it when you can have this interaction both with the panelists and with the audience, because the input of the audience is often very worthwhile uh, and disgusting. So it seems you got a lot out of Hamburg, but of course, next year is your hometown, Amsterdam, which I'm sure you're very excited about. Yes, it will be a pleasure, uh, especially based on the experiences here in Hamburg, to have a lot of colleagues in the Retina meeting in Amsterdam. It is a wonderful venue and a wonderful city. Um, I would hope that many people will come. It's a wonderful atmosphere with the canals, beautiful museums. And I think Amsterdam is the most museum-dense city or one of them in the world. So mm. it will be great to have the conference there. And I think we'll have uh, a lot to build on based on the current Hamburg meeting. If you have to choose one, the Reichsart Museum is for me the the absolute jewel in the crown. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. But the question is whether or not Amsterdam can compete with Hamburg's boat party. So it'll be interesting to see what Amsterdam brings to up the level for the delicate party next year. Uh, <laughs> Camille Bone, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. And last, but in no means least, um, board member and a VR subspecialty member, Dr. Patricia Udaondo joins us. Patricia, you're very welcome. How was your Congress? Thank you very much for your kind invitation. I think that we all agree. Um, I'm sure my colleagues commented it's been great to have the opportunity to see all my colleagues again. So one of the most important things is the exchange of opinion uh, after the sessions. But anyway, I'm going to give you my opinion about what have been the most, probably not important, probably interested from my point of view, considering surgery. And obviously one not surgical, but also important because we had very new data uh, presented in your retina and it's also important for all the community. So first of all, I think that the retina session for the vitreoretinal surgery one, based on the management of silicon oil complication was really interested because we had many problems in the past with the toxicity of silicon oil and brephotocarbonate uh, using inside the eye. So this session, I think it was very interesting presenting new data and uh, chaired by uh, very important people that uh, have been studying it. Um, so I think this session, it's interesting to, to look at. Then the retina session eight, I'm going in order so that people can find it easier which is the late breaking, as I have commented, is not really only based on uh, surgical retina, but also presenting uh, some new results about clinical trials, medical data that are really important and will be important in future, like the new treatment, for example, for uh, dry AMD, for example. And then the retina session 15, which is the surgery to that it's based uh, mainly on uh, vitreoretina disorder, but based on indication, referral. So it's very practical. It's really based on uh, daily practice. And I think that for users is very important, not only the theory, the big data, but also to know what to do in particular cases. And- What did uh, you get, what did you get from that particular session, uh, Patricia? Well, I think that the most important is that it was good for vitreoretina surgeons and for non-surgeons, when and how refer patients and the uh, opinion from vitreoretina surgeon when a patient is referred. So I think it's a nice exchange from both sides. So it can be interested for both. 
surgeons and people that is not doing surgery. So this session was very, very important. And then I could say that there was another session, the uh, Spanish Retina Society, probably I'm in favor because there was a chair by, by my colleagues from Spain, but they were talking about trauma. So trauma is something acute, are always tricky cases to manage, that it's never easy. So they were presented different cases, but I think the discussion at the end was very interesting. So they were discussing when to do something and not and their opinions. So they agreed in some important aspects that I think that people that it's uh, probably leading or had the uh, chance to treat trauma uh, at hospital can find interest in both the presentation and the discussion at the end. How, how often does trauma occur in your clinic where you're brought in to, to deal with with trauma in your practice? Uh, well, it's... Fortunately, it's not very common, but the problem is that it depends on time. So maybe you cannot see one and then you see three in a month. So the probably the key point is that even people that is uh, expert or are experts in trauma, they don't see many patients mm. because for me, there are no many, many traumas. So at the end, having the chance to see cases that could be similar to ones that we can see or have in front one day it's always uh, nice because then you remember the session the comments so it's not a matter of how frequent but it's also the chance that we will always uh, have one in front if we are surgeons what was the the one thing that you took away that you thought this is going to change how i treat my patients was there was there one thing from the congress that really stands out that you said this is something we need to change soon well, in surgery, it's not new, but I think that we always have same discussion about when to perform a particular technique or not. So uh, most of my colleagues, when I comment about peeling of the membranes, peeling of the internal limiting membranes, they are familiar with. So there's always a discussion when to do it and not to do it. So probably my conclusion on my, or my take home message is something that I do. But now I confirm that many of my patients, of my colleagues do to patients is that when you have a very aggressive inflammation regarding, I don't care if it's a retinal detachment, if it's a trauma, but a, a very important uh, disease in the eye, the most intense you do the surgery, the more you remove the vitreous and all the membranes, you have the higher chances to have a better uh, results at the end. Well, this is one of the probably the most important highlights coming from, from surgery. Well, Patricia, thanks very much for your time and your insights. And I suppose you're probably already thinking about um, 2023. So um, I'll leave you to go. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I just hope to be with you soon again. Thank you. Well, there you go. A whole host of hand-picked highlights from our Uretina experts. You can go back and watch all of that content on the Uretina website if you were a delegate at the Congress and that will stay available until the end of the year after which it becomes a member-only archive piece and if you are a member you can pour through lots of podcasts and webinars and previous lectures from previous Congresses at uretina.org. Find out more there also about becoming a member. Let us know your highlights. You can email us podcast at uretina.org. We'll be going through some more learnings from the Congress in our next Talking Uretina in two weeks' time. In the meantime, I'm Jonathan McRae. We'll see you soon.